time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to The Right Conversations. Today's episode is very special to me. Um, Many of you following me know that I have celiac disease. And uh, if you're a client, you have probably been rescheduled a few times because of some gluten poisonings. Um, If you're in my life, you know that that is... uh, front and center uh, whenever dining out, going over to friends, you've heard my spiel. And there's not a lot of resources out there for us celiac folks. And because of that, it doesn't get discussed enough. And people are just stuck thinking that they are alone. Um, And I found today's guest on Uh, the Instagram, which I'm so, so, so grateful for. This is like one of the many reasons I actually love social media. Um, So today we have the celiac dietitian, and we are going to be having a conversation about the mental health impacts of celiac disease, among other things, with Taylor Silverduke. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Before we move into our topic, tell everyone listening who you are, what you do, what lights you up. Yeah, so I'm a registered dietitian specializing in celiac disease, but I also have been living with celiac for over 10 years. So I knew that I wanted to help people heal their guts when I started studying to become a dietitian. And I kind of just fell into talking to my community because it was just so apparent to me how little support I got when I was diagnosed and how little support everyone else gets when it's really such a life-changing diagnosis. So I'm very lucky to have that passion, be able to be my career and feel like, you know, it is work, but feel like my work isn't necessarily work. It's just me connecting with other people that I can so deeply relate to. Oh, it's beautiful. So when you were diagnosed, would would you share a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So I actually had GI distress for most of my life. I always had diarrhea, bloating, like constipation. It was just like the whole mix. And yeah. doctors always told me it was stress, IBS, and they would give me a pill to kind of minimize the symptoms, but nothing ever really felt like it was getting to the root cause. And I was constantly asking for more help. Um, And then my mom was actually screened for celiac and then diagnosed on a fluke. It wasn't even for GI symptoms. And they were like, oh, maybe we should test you for celiac too. And then they tested me and it turns out I had celiac as well. And all those years of GI distress were really just me reacting to gluten, which was such a big part of my diet. So um, definitely a lot of medical gaslighting and a lot of medical trauma and stuff that I'm still working through now. Um, But I am really grateful that I did finally get answers. It's just a bittersweet 
situation. Yeah, I bet. And also I, you know, I'm, it's so frustrating to hear this, like, oh, it's just stress. Like, yes, stress can cause so many different symptoms. And I think a lot of people don't understand that link and certainly aren't aware that their stress levels could be impacting their gut, could, you know, all of that. But like, it's not the fucking answer to everything. No. And oftentimes when I'm like working with clients who are still struggling with symptoms, we do look at stress and we look at how it might be worsening symptoms, but I'm always super careful to acknowledge it's likely not the only thing going on. And while minimizing it may help the symptoms not feel as significant and help you improve your quality of life, that doesn't mean that's where we're going to stop because so often that is where a lot of providers will stop without even like doing a deep dive or referring you to a therapist or like even evaluating your stress levels. Like it's kind of like, oh, you must be anxious and stressed. Did you ask me? (laughs) Like, like, is it just because I appear anxious because I'm anxious that you're going to tell me that it's just anxiety again? Like, okay. (laughs) Truly. And like how many of us do get anxious going to the doctor? You know, like I I remember one time I went in, it was for my very first, uh, ketamine treatment for my depression. And they were like, your blood pressure, like, do you have high blood pressure? And I was like, right now, like (laughs) you're about to put a needle in me and put a drug in me that I've never had. Like, yeah, I'm my blood pressure's high. And they like had to wait until my blood pressure calmed down. And I was like, okay, like I, we're just gonna like breathe here. But they truly were like, okay, like watch, watch your blood pressure. And I was like, I'm not a medical professional. Like, I, I mean, I'm a mental health professional, but like, I'm not a medical professional. And I know that my blood pressure could be raised for this incident. Exactly. Wild. Yeah. Wild. So when you got diagnosed, what was the guidance that you were given, if any, about food? Um. So I actually didn't get any, like the doctor was just like, go gluten-free. My mom, um, also was told to just go gluten-free, but she was working with a more holistic provider who didn't really give guidance on like how to stay gluten-free, but did give a lot of guidance on like things to avoid on top of gluten, which wasn't necessarily helpful. It was just making the restriction list like longer and making our lives like that much harder. So it was definitely pretty like unsubstantiative that's not the word I'm looking for. Like it was nothing basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of just trying to figure it out for ourselves. Um, like trying to figure out how do I talk to my school's lunch people to like, make sure I'm getting a safe lunch. And it ended up like, it just wasn't possible. So I had to bring my own lunch. And then I felt really Uh, awkward because (laughs) my lunch just looked different than everybody. And it was, it spiraled out of control pretty quickly because it was just like, you get zero resources. You're kind of just like grasping for anything that seems like it's working. So how without old knowing you? that it could be better. Yes. Um, yeah. So I was uh, around sophomore year in high school. So I want to say I was about 14 years old. Oh, that's so I can't, hard. I think it was 14, six, six. It's really hard for me because that time was also like so many things happened. It felt like one thing after another in my teenage years. So I'm actually working through that as well. Just like trying to process what happened to me in my teenage years. So I want to say like around sophomore year, how old are you when you're in sophomore year? Like 15. 
15 we'll go with 15 ish yeah, yeah something, i also something feel like i feel personally a little like left out when people are talking about their celiac anniversary when they were diagnosed and i'm like i actually don't have the date i don't remember it yeah yeah so i don't remember mine either i i remember the doctor telling me that i needed to stop eating gluten and i was like that's what the Kardashians do. Like, I thought that it was like a trendy <laughs> diet. And yeah. I, I lived in Southern California at the time. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, fuck you. I'm going to go. And then I left and I, I shit you not, Taylor. I ordered a beer and like flour tortilla and tacos. And I was like, fuck you, doctor. And then I felt so terrible after I ate it. And I was like, uh <laughs> the denial phase and the bargaining yeah. phase is so real yeah so okay walk us through what this was like for you and and maybe what you see in your clients now um how does this affect people's mental health and how did it affect yours yeah so i think the first thing that is the most uh i think important to draw attention to is the high prevalence of the potential to develop disordered eating or even an eating disorder, which are very harmful and eating disorders can be very deadly. So because oftentimes people are not given the proper support that they need, it gets really scary really fast and it can cause you to feel like you really want to control everything around your food and it can spiral quickly into not just avoiding gluten and trying to prevent cross contact but also avoiding every other food that people are saying could potentially trigger a reaction avoiding every other food that might be promoted as something related to autoimmunity and it potentially causing another autoimmune disease and there's a lot of fear mongering that happens in the autoimmune space that it can just get really scary really fast. So if you feel like your world is like closing in on you and you feel like every day there's less and less things you can eat, there's less and less things you can do, generally that's a sign that you might need a lot more support than you're getting. And I really want to encourage anyone who's feeling like that to go get it um, because it's that is the exact kind of route that I fell into and it took me years to get out of. And mm -hmm. it was like, looking back, I'm still grieving all the things that I've lost. And it's not something that I want for anybody. And it's definitely why I'm here today because no one deserves that. And I definitely want to do better for people who are being diagnosed now. I love that so much. It's so hard. There's so many aspects to it. Like the not knowing, the confusion, the, um, I'm going to use the word burden just for lack of a better word, but like the burden of having to communicate this to friends or, you know, like, yeah, we can totally share this dip, but like, don't mm. put your fucking pita in it first, please. Like, how did you navigate those conversations? Because I was in my early 20s when I was diagnosed, like really early. I was like right after college, right before um, I was just starting in grad school. So like I had had my kind of college years of, you know, sharing food, being in the dorms, like those were all behind me and it was still really hard. And so I can't imagine high school, college having to navigate these conversations. What was that like? Um, I kind of didn't, <laughs> like, to be completely honest, I didn't really know, like to some, like a lot of my friends did know that I had to stay gluten-free and they were pretty supportive. But, um, I also like, 
I personally didn't know that there were ways for me to share things. I didn't know that there was ways for me to Mm. prepare food with my friends and family. I didn't know there was ways for me to share food. So I really didn't communicate anything other than I'm bringing my own food or I need to stop at the grocery store um, when I'm staying the night with my friends and like buying pre-prepared stuff that was gluten-free. And it, it is definitely like something that I learned over time, especially studying as a dietitian. My professors were really big on helping me learn how to be included in a lot of the um, nutrition demos and the nutrition labs that we did. Um, so it, it took a lot of time and practice, but I don't think there's a lack of a better word. I think it is a burden. It is a burden yeah. that we have to carry regardless of if I've been doing it for 10 years and it feels routine, it's still a burden. It's still extra work. And when I am like doing, when I have so much on my plate, I have a lot of work stuff going on. I have a lot of like social stuff going on. It feels like it's hard all over again, even if it was routine yesterday. Um, yeah. It's just like when you're, when you have limited spoons, like you do with celiac, it's, it's just hard. Yeah. So what do you, what do you want to say to anyone listening who doesn't have celiac, but maybe knows someone who does, or they're going to meet someone who does, how can they best show up as friends, dinner hosts, uh, restaurant mates, I, it's so tough because everyone with celiac has personal expectations and personal ways that they prefer to be accommodated. And for some people, it can feel really uncomfortable for people to feel like people are planning around them. Um, And obviously that's something that you can work through, but it is, there's just such a personal aspect to how you accommodate your friends and family with celiac. So my biggest thing would be to just ask, have a conversation Um, Or even just say like, hey, I'm going to a restaurant, pick some gluten-free restaurants and say, are you comfortable with any of these? Would you prefer to come over and make a meal with me? Or would you prefer Mm. for me to come over and you cook a meal for me? I'm kind of extending that arm and showing like, I really want to accommodate and support you in this. These are the things that I'm willing to do. Like what sound, what are you most comfortable with? What can I do? Um, And Honestly, some people with celiac might not even be open to any of that. It's just kind of figuring out what they need from you. And it's going to be different for everyone. That's super helpful. Um, what about what about someone with celiac? What do you want to say to them about eating out, being at um, friends? I think the biggest thing that has been the most helpful for when I'm working with my clients on this is just kind of reminding people that if someone is asking how they can help, if someone is asking how they can accommodate you, they truly want to help and accommodate you. They're not going to say that if they don't want to. So with some slight exceptions, like trust that your friends and family are here for you to do that. Trust like they are making that genuine effort and give them like let them do whatever you're comfortable with. And if they're offering something that you're not comfortable with, say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for thinking of me. I'm actually not comfortable with that. Would you be willing to do something else? But don't, it's easy to think you're burdening other people and it's easy to think like they don't really mean it. Um, But most of the time they really do. And this is not something that anyone should carry the burden for just themselves. In fact, there's research to show that your success in living gluten-free and healing and recovering is so heavily dependent on your support system. So lean on it when they are offering it. That's such good advice. I know that I really struggled in my early days of receiving support. Like, 
Oh, I remember when my my grandma was like, oh, I'll make, I'm Jewish. And at Passover, like everything's made of matzah. And mm. she offered to make basically everything that had matzah in it with gluten-free matzah, like a separate, like version one, version two. And I felt so guilty saying yes, because I knew at the time I was the only one. Then my cousin got diagnosed and there was two of us. Um, but I knew that it was going to be a lot of extra work. And then I realized exactly what you said. Like she was offering because she wanted to. And it took a while to like really learn that if someone was asking or offering that like I was actually not giving them an opportunity to feel good by, you know, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then getting to dinner and being like, I'll have this piece of lettuce. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know about you, but um, my family actually covets the gluten-free matzah. Oh, Um, yeah. It's so much better. It is. It is. And so, like, honestly, we just use gluten-free matzah now just because it's just so much tastier. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, obviously, you didn't know that then. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. knew that then, but it is, like, 10 times tastier. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's true. But I think the, oh, I was going to say, I think the other part of it being really hard to ask for help and get support is also if you're not getting the support you need from your healthcare team, if you're taking on the job of educating yourself and staying safe with celiac disease, and you're taking on that job of a healthcare provider, and you're taking on the job of applying it as the patient, you don't even really know what you need right? Like you're still figuring it out. So asking for help from other people can feel so overwhelming. It's a reminder that you're like, I don't know. I'm also still figuring it out. You don't want to pigeon your whole, your pigeonhole yourself into something that you might not actually need to be doing later on in the line. And you don't want people to doubt you. So it gets, I mean, there's so much, it's so complicated. Um, and that would be, I want to backtrack. And you said, what would you like to tell friends and family? Yeah. Or anyone listening who knows someone with celiac? The other thing I would tell them is, I just threw my phone on the floor. The other thing I would tell them. Very passionate about this. Yes, very passionate. Um, Be like how your celiac friend or family member takes care of themselves with celiac and the accommodations they need might change. And that's not because they're faking it. It's because it's so complicated and so difficult to figure out they're going to have many iterations of how they stay safe. There's going to be many evolutions um, and they're going to grow through figuring out what's best for them. So except just go into it knowing like they might be fine with you baking them a gluten-free cake one time and the next time they're not because maybe they got sick or maybe they realized they needed to educate you on some other things you needed to do when you were baking for them. So it's going to change. And everyone involved should know that like, you're all learning. So mistakes are going to happen on all fronts and having that like understanding and that connection and being able to communicate about it is really, really important. You've probably figured this out by yourself by now, but if you own a vulva, did you know that there is a three in five chance that having penetrative sex doesn't result in an orgasm? Enter Zumio. (laughs) Zumio is a one of a kind toy with the sole purpose of providing a unique, stimulating experience. And guess what? It doesn't even vibrate. It rotates with a concentrated pinpoint energy that allows you to control how and where you use it. There are four different models specifically designed for your personal intensity preferences. 
And Zumio is great for vulva mapping and exploring the rest of your body, whether that is solo or with a partner. Check out www.myzumio.com slash Rachel, that's R-A-C-H-E-L, for a special discount for the Right Conversations listeners and take control of your orgasms today. I really appreciate you saying that because I, I know for myself, there have been so many, uh, iterations even now, you know, like I, there was one trip we went on. Um, I'm originally from California and we went out to California for like almost two weeks and I got gluten poisoned three times in a row in eight days. Oh my gosh. And so That's by my time nightmare. three, right? Like by time three, I was, um, I was done. Like I, I couldn't, I was so sick and I felt so terrible. And for the rest of the trip, everywhere we went, A, I felt like I had the flu the rest of the trip. Um, but B, I was like the most anxious, tense, like, everything in me was like, no, don't touch that. No, 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 no. Like every server I talked to was like, can I talk to the chef? And like, because I was coming off of these three, I was like, my body literally cannot handle a fourth and I don't have an option to cook at home because we're on vacation. So like my only option here is to be this like really intense, anxious person. And, and I mean, that felt like the only option. Um, and you know, of course then like I, I healed and I felt better. And then now like you, you'd see me go out and be like, was that the same person that was like on this trip in California? And like, that was only a year and a half ago, you know, like it's, we do really go through these different iterations and it can change at least in my experience, both over time, like longevity wise. And then also like this, where it was more like incident based. Right. Yes. And I think like, that's really key to hone in on too, because I might have the energy to educate someone and pay attention to how someone's preparing my food one time. And the next time I might be coming off of a really stressful week and I just do not have it in me and I'm bringing my own food. So it's going to yeah. look different every time. And it doesn't even have to say anything about how someone trusts you, or it doesn't have to say anything about the person trying to accommodate. And most of the time it has everything to do with the person with celiac and just kind of letting them have that space and letting them be the expert in their own body and what they need right now, whether it be bringing their own food or having those spoons to communicate with friends and family and make sure nothing's getting contaminated. Um, it's all a lot of work. <laughs> it's yeah. all a lot of work. You're just trying to decide like, what do you want to do right now? Exactly. Yeah. What type of work would I like to do? Right. To, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So do you think that there are any positive mental health benefits of a celiac diagnosis? I mean, personally, the relief of having answers for GI distress was really beneficial. It's great to me to know that it's gluten, it's celiac. Um, so I guess like there's a relief to having the answers. There's also, if it is celiac disease, it has been linked to other mental health symptoms. And oftentimes those can improve as your gut heals. Um, so there are like actual benefits if celiac was involved. That's not to say like your anxiety is going to be cured, your depression is going to be cured. Um, there's also research that suggests like ADHD related symptoms improve. But that's not to say like I have ADHD. So 
it gets worse when I've been glutened, but I also still have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. When I haven't it's been It's not glutened. like on and off. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it does, it, there is research that shows that it, those symptoms can improve. Um, but yeah. So total answer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you think, um, anything in terms of like personal growth that you've experienced oh, or clients have that's experienced. such a good that's such a good um question yeah so being able to speak up for myself and advocate for myself it extends beyond just asking for safety precautions related to celiac i feel like i'm much more prepared to have tougher conversations with uh like bosses employee employers employees that kind of thing like it's much more easier to speak up for myself um and that's something that i would have i mean i've always been pretty loud spoken but the extent that i'm able to do it today is a lot greater than before um and i think it's able to i mean it is stressful it is a lot of work and i also am grateful because i do believe it lets me have a much deeper relationship with people mm. it's a lot more intimate if i have a friend who knows that i have this condition and they know how to care for me and we can have those deeper conversations and they can accommodate me on that deeper level versus friends that may not be as aware or people i just met it's it's a definitely a deeper relationship you form with people and a deeper connection and bond because they are taking this extra time to support you and care for you and be that support system that you need to lean on in order to be successful in this i love that yeah i totally agree i like the speaking up for myself part and one of the things that I've loved outside of myself seeing is like how partners have shown up around mm. celiac over the years and like even or friends, you know, just different people in my life really gaining this like protective, loving, uh, like mama bear vibe over thing, you know, like something will get set down on the table. And one of my partners is like, is that toy sauce? You know, and they're like, ah, and, you know, even now, like one, one of my partner's um, family lives in the area. And so they'll often plan dinners out for, you know, celebrations or whatever. And it's so unbelievably wonderful to sit down at the table and like it's a tasting menu and everyone else is doing the same thing. And then like they've already talked to the kitchen and mine is like a, a gluten free situation. And like the love that I receive from acts like that is so profound. And I'm, I'm wondering if you've experienced similar things. Oh, like a hundred percent. Yeah. Like I get teared up just thinking about it because it's such a deeper expression of love. I feel like it's such a, like, and only the people that are in your space like that and that you trust with that information are doing that and are able to do that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've certainly experienced that. And um, there's just like, it is such a gift to have those people in your life. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I have one kind of like random question for you. It's still about this, obviously. Um, and then we can, we'll wrap up for the day. Um, can you share the difference between cross-contamination and cross-contact? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, this is why this is the hill that I choose to <laughs> die on and defend. You know, I do think it is important. Um, so cross-contamination is the biological contamination of food. So bacteria, um, this is protecting us from things like foodborne illness. So bacteria, viruses, that kind of thing. 
cross contact is referring to the allergenic contamination of food. And so this is referring to gluten proteins, for example, being introduced into a food that wouldn't otherwise have those proteins. So when you are managing cross contamination in a kitchen, this can be managed through heat, this can be managed through disinfectant, this can be managed through washing. When you are managing cross contact, you can't kill allergenic proteins. So you can't just do disinfectant, although some disinfectants do have a washing attribute to them. But the biggest issue that I see with it is if you say cross-contamination, restaurant workers think I can just kill it. I can just heat it up to 500 degrees. So it's going in a 500 degree oven. It's fine. But cross-contact indicates that that's not like that that's not what we're referring to we're referring to the actual removal of the allergenic proteins through washing through not introducing um so that's why there's a difference in terminology it's a fairly new term that was introduced in order to start protecting people with allergies in food manufacturing and processing it is what most restaurant staff are trained on now it's in most surf safe education it's in most um, allergen trainings so that's why there is still cross-contamination used to be the term we used, then they introduced cross-contact. And so there's a delay in switching, but it is important to start using that term so we can communicate. It's not a bacterial issue. It's not like we can just kill it issue. It's so we need to make sure it's not introduced and that we're washing things and preventing contamination. Even though contamination is involved, it's cross-contact, yeah. not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's no. messy fast, but yeah. It's, it's so, so, so important. Um, okay. I lied. I have one other question for you. <laughs> what is your, and this is actually just like mostly my interest and not related to the topic at hand. Um, what is your take on, I hear a lot of debate around fryers hmm. and people saying like, you know, oh, I actually don't get sick from a shared fryer. Um, and then some people being like, that's impossible. There's particles everywhere. I'm wondering what your take on this is, either from personal or professional experience. Yeah. So this is where it gets a lot, a little, a lot complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot, there's a lot when it comes to gluten safety, gluten exposure safety, when we're preventing ourselves from being exposed to an amount of gluten that can trigger an immune response and small intestinal damage. They have a researched range of about how much gluten someone with celiac disease can be exposed to before small intestinal damage happens. And that's anywhere between around 10 milligrams of gluten to 100 milligrams of gluten a day. And this is a day. So most safety standards are going to be based on that minimum amount because we want to make sure everybody as much as possible is protected. So we're basing our safety standards on that minimum amount that could potentially cause um, a small intestinal damage in a, in a reaction, which means that it, all of our safety recommendations are based around that. If you are in any of my courses, they're all based around that. However, it is a big range. It's 10 milligrams to hundred milligrams. So yeah, that's there's a no, lot. right. Then there's no way for us to know who reacts to what there's no way we have no tests, no way of knowing. So our the way that we approach it is everyone goes off of that, those general standards that are going to protect you from the 10 milligrams. But that could explain why some people don't feel like they're getting sick doing certain things. There's also asymptomatic people with celiac disease who are not having symptoms, so they don't know. And I also really, really, really want to make it clear, just because you're not reacting, you feel like you're, it's fine, you feel like it's safe, does not mean it's safe. 
So I would encourage anyone, even though we have that big range, still act like you might be a person who's reacting to 10 milligrams of gluten because you might not have symptoms, but you are still reacting and having that small intestinal damage. So we all base our safety recommendations around there. With fryers though, it's a little more complicated. Um, and, and if you're in any of my courses, I do briefly explain the research behind different cross contact protocols and how we know things contaminate. Um, but with fryers, they have done research on how fryers can transfer cross contact. And I'm not saying anyone should do this. I think everyone should be generally ordering from dedicated gluten-free fryers. But from the data that I've seen, it's about a 50-50 chance in a shared fryer that you're going to get something that's contaminated at unsafe levels. That is not me endorsing you going to go order from a shared <laughs> fryer. That is a very risky, we're not going for 50-50 here. We're going for like way less. Like I want yeah. a less than 5% chance um, that you're going to get sick or a less than 10% chance. Dining out is always going to be a higher risk. Um, but 50-50, we don't want to mess around yeah, with that. That's so, a coin flip. That's terrifying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so please don't take that as me saying it's it's possible, but that's around what the data is showing. So that could be also why people aren't, they might just be getting really lucky and getting heads every time and not getting sick and getting contaminated. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes total sense. Play with. Yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. it gets very complicated, very fast. If you're in any of my courses, I do simplify all of it. So, you know, and you can make those informed choices. Um, but that would be why. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much for explaining that. And we'll put um, all of the links to your, your programs and stuff in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you have celiac or know someone with celiac, please pass these along. I wish so deeply, Taylor, that I had your programs when I was diagnosed. Um, the day that I was diagnosed, I went to the grocery store and I, I will never forget it. It's such a clear memory in my head. And this was in 20... 12, I think, I think so someone in my family is going to be listening to this and being like yelling, like, no, it wasn't. I'm so bad with dates. Um, <laughs> I too, think it was around. So you feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I don't know. It was like early to, I'd like know where I was working when I was diagnosed. Um, <laughs> I, and I walked into a grocery store and I was living on my own. It was, I only lived like alone, 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 like no roommates, no partner, no family, no nothing for a year in an apartment my whole life. And it was in that year that I was diagnosed and <laughs> I went to the grocery store and I was walking around and nothing at this time had certified gluten-free, nothing had gluten-free written on the front, even if not certified, there was nothing. So everything that I was buying, I was trying to read the nutritional labels and I was diagnosed like two days before, you know, like it was so soon after. And I remember just like staring at these labels and I was like, I don't know what the fuck any of these ingredients are. <laughs> That's also disturbing. So like different topic for a different day. I'll address that later. <laughs> and I left the grocery store after like 30 minutes of roaming around with an orange. And that was my lunch that day. Mm. And I was like, this can't be good. <laughs> like, this is not, I'd, uh, Okay. And I went home and I cleaned out my whole pantry, like threw everything away. Cause there was like flour on fucking everything. And again, like I was reading labels and I was like, what is all this? And like, why is there gluten in this ranch dressing? And like, what, what is happening? And it was like such, it was so hard to do on my own. And I was like grieving this life and I love food and like, you know, all of these like memories in my head of sharing meals. And I was like, I'm never going to do this again. And like, I just so all of that to say, I wish that I had had 
someone like you and the things that you're creating, whether that is your social media content or, or your paid programs that like could have given me anything so that I didn't walk out with an orange and like cried throwing away bags of flour in my apartment. And I, I was like, I think I was diagnosed around the same time as you, maybe a little bit earlier, but also there was nothing marked gluten-free in the grocery store. We have it so good today and it's still stressful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's like, great. I'm like, this is amazing. Life is wonderful. <laughs> but back, and then I remember it was so life-changing when they had like gluten-free sections in the grocery store. Yep. And yep. then they decided to just disperse it into different areas of the grocery store. And I was like, my life is getting harder again. Why are they doing this to me? Like you give me something so great after having nothing and then you take it away. Why are we doing this? Um, but yeah. And speaking of the food labeling, it's still really overwhelming and stressful. It's all overwhelming to do alone. And I do have paid courses that you can sign up for, but because label reading is such a sensitive and such a food access is so important. I do have a free, entirely free class teaching you how to quickly and safely identify gluten-free foods in the USA. So if you do want that, I'll, I'll send the link to you for the show notes. Um, it is like literally everything I teach in my courses, but you're getting it for free just because food is so important. Like actually eating gluten-free food is the most important thing you can do. And being able to buy that in stores is so, so important. So I will send that over to you after this too. Thank you. See, like that would have changed my whole life. Like fully, fully changed my life. Yeah. I've had people who have had celiac for years and then take their class and they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea it could be this simple. I was missing out on all these foods. Um, Cause I do think when we were diagnosed, almost nothing was marked gluten-free. So we didn't like, it was like, okay. But now Uh, people only want to buy things that are marked gluten-free. And that's so restrictive too, because like, okay, there's a can of beans that says beans, water, salt, but it doesn't say gluten-free. And then there's another can of beans that says beans, water, salt, and it says gluten-free. So does that mean this one's not gluten-free? And it gets really confusing, but it is, they're both gluten-free guys, both gluten-free. If you want, I I explain it in the course, but it's like so scary and confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause our minds are like, okay, well clearly this one's not, if this one says it is right. Like why wouldn't this one say that too? It's, it's confusing and messy fast. It's all, yeah. confu- I feel like if I were described to me, it's, it's messy fast. That's it. So. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And so <laughs> worth it. I'm very happy to share this with you and, and anyone listening. Like I went in for an endoscopy, um, a few months ago and when was it? See dates again. I don't know. It was like February, something like that. January. It was the beginning, very beginning of this year. And um, everything is healed and everything looks good. And uh, I haven't had a gluten exposure, no gluten poisoning since then. And I've been to Spain, Toronto, like traveled. I had a broken foot for a month and a half. Like we've been everywhere and it's been wonderful. And I've actually never been uh, less anxious and like stressed about it. So it's possible if you're listening to this and you're like, nope, I'm the one crying on the floor with the flower or buying the orange or, you know, not having conversations with friends and like just bringing your own food. Like it's possible. And please utilize beautiful people like Taylor who are doing work in the world to help make your life as fulfilling as possible with this. Yes. And if there was like one thing I would like wrap it all up with it, it's, it does get better. It feels like it's not going to right now, 
but it does get so much better. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.